questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. It is difficult to believe that our planet has been weaponized before our very eyes. But that is exactly what has happened. First, we were seduced by the convenience of a wireless world. Then, atmospheric weather experimentation in the guise of carbon climate change converted the air we breathe into an antenna. Now, the geoengineering we've been subjected to for two decades is being normalized as the Star Wars space fence that rises around and within us. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fabregas. And if you're new to the Veritas family, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, just click on the subscribe button. And don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, and much more. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And tonight's special guest is a veteran of this program, Ilana Freeland, a Waldorf school pioneer, teacher, lecturer, storyteller, and writer. Tonight, we're going to be discussing her second book. We discussed the first one last time she was here two and a half years ago. It's titled Under an Ionized Sky, From Chemtrails to Space Fence Lockdown. Her website is elanafreeland.com, and it's also linked on ours. And directly from Olympia, Washington, I'd like to welcome Elana Freeland. Elana, welcome back. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you for having me, Mel. So good to hear your wonderful voice. Likewise. Always a pleasure. And I had to talk to you because every time you and I talk or we, we correspond via email every every few weeks, and you always have something new to tell me. And I thought, you know, two and a half years is enough. should be every year. But two and a half years is in, it's, it's too much. There's a lot that you're working on. You have a third book coming up soon. Why don't you just give us a, a synopsis of what you're working on recently, the latest rabbit hole? Well, it it is very much connected to the previous two books. I mean, the first book, Chemtrails Harp and the Full Spectrum Dominance of Planet Earth, came out in 2014 and was really just a compendium of how far we had gone in the sort of internet movement uh, opposing geoengineering. And at that point, the word geoengineering was not even being bandied about. Uh, So from that book, I realized, uh, thanks to Billy Hayes, the harp man, Billy uh, worked on many of the uh, microwave uh, phased array antennas and towers uh, during his career as a tower erector. And um, he pointed me in the direction uh, that the chemtrails, uh, ionospheric heaters, towers were heading in, which was the space fence. And the space fence goes all the way back to the Reagan administration in the U.S., where Reagan, uh, George H.W. Bush, and Dick Cheney, uh, it's the, under the Strategic Defense Initiative. So that that somehow went black for years, for a couple of administrations. And, and then came the ionizing of the sky, and that was through Bernard Eastland's HARP 
patents. The HARP is the High Frequency Active Auroral Research Project up in Gakona, Alaska. Um, and it was through uh, Eastland's patent that they were able to do a lot of experiments with the ionosphere around the Earth, far, far up above, and and find a way to sort of create a mini ionosphere here on planet Earth. And it was the ionizing of the atmosphere, which means making it electrical, making it like an antenna, making it very, very conductive with lots of nano-sized heavy metals uh, and lots and lots of microwaves and radio frequency waves. So, so the atmosphere was changed. And once the atmosphere was changed, and meanwhile, nobody down here knows it. No, nobody's being told. Um, then once, once it was ionized, they were able to resurrect the space fence. And that is an SDI, the SDI program. And it's the space fence itself is run by Lockheed Martin, which is number one in the world as a military contractor, a weapons maker, everything, security, apparatus, you name it, Lockheed Martin is into it. And it owns the patents, just as Raytheon, another big uh, weapons dealer, uh, owned the patents for HARP. So, so there's a, like a, like a, a group that's sort of moving toward what they call full spectrum dominance. And that means uh, lockdown on planet Earth. And the space fence is the second book, uh, the 2018 book. I go deeply into the space fence, show how it's set up on the ground in the near Earth orbit. Talk about the ring being formed around the equator of the planet, a ring filled with uh, heavy metal particulates and um, chemicals that are really um, form the, uh, the sandwiching above the Earth along with the ground-based uh, uh, radi- ra- radar installations, uh, cell phone towers, cell phones, uh, all the way through, all, anything uh, electromagnetic is now in the space fence. And what we're now hearing are terms like Internet of Things. So now they're uploading many of these devices to the Internet for, uh, for, for total control, centralized. And so all of that has been the adventure of the last several years for me. And then when I did the second book, then it became obvious to me with the advent of 5G, the Internet of Things, uh, Elon Musk talking about uh, AI and uh, these uh, this fiber that is supposed to be in our brain, uh, the neural mesh uh, that will help us compete with AI, etc., uh, then I began to realize that this is all about transhumanism, about changing us from the outside to the in, not by getting us to go and get vaccinations as adults or go into clinics and take certain pills or undergo certain devices like fMRIs or whatever, but it, that it was going to come from outside of us by weaponizing the entire uh, environment. But let's let's go step by step. Forgive me for interjecting, but what you said about the ionizing the sky, 
changing the sky, the atmosphere. And I'm just wondering, if we have a Van Allen belt, 400 to 36,000 miles or 640 to 58,000 kilometers above us, surrounding us, why do we need an ionized sky or changing the atmosphere? The atmosphere has become a lab um, and, uh, and an antenna. And, and that's exactly it, is the Van Allen belts, which, as you know, Mel, were blasted to kingdom come back in the 50s by atomic bombs, hydrogen bombs. Uh, and uh, The Starfish and, Prime Test and uh, Operation Fishbowl. Yes. In fact, a, a new uh, Van Allen belt was created by that, that ridiculous, dangerous nonsense. But uh, what they really want is control over the Earth and the full spectrum dominance really has to start here. And and why that is, I always quote what I read in Joseph P. Farrell's book, Covert Wars and Breakaway Civilizations, in 2012. He talks about a Soviet astronomer named Nikolai Kardashev and how Kardashev um, pronounced three phases of technological achievement for any civilization aspiring to a space age. And of course, um, Catherine Austin Fitz, the investment analyst, is uh, a big fan of my books and uh, and a friend, I would call her a friend, a, a very much a, a cohort in activism. And Catherine uh, has many times spoken of this breakaway civilization and the secret space program. And that really is what the whole space fence uh, lockdown is born out of is the secret uh, space program that trillions of our dollars have disappeared into over the past two decades, which is about the length of the geoengineering programs that I'm following. So uh, when Kardashev said that, you know, if you're going to have a real space age, you have to do these three things. The first is full spectrum dominance of the planet, total planetary control. Now you might think that means uh, total control of perhaps uh, the yeah the atmosphere, the ground, but it really also means the people and all of life. I mean, it means total, and and this is the this is the megalomania that has seized those who carry this very vast ancient dream of being as gods on the planet. So they're working now on that very first phase that Kardashev names, the full spectrum dominance, planetary control, and that has to be done in layers. And so I've been fortunate to be paying enough attention because I keep writing these books, and you have to pay attention when you're writing a book, uh, of seeing layer by layer by layer by layer. I mean, it's it's like spelled out right in front of me. It's, in, it's impossible to miss, even if the headlines are not about it, even if I don't have a television, never owned one, never will, and I'm not seeing the six o'clock news. Uh, it is obvious that they are after full spectrum dominance over the planet. Second phase they've already started working on in the atmosphere that is now ionized, and that's control over one's star and its systems, and that's our sun. So now we're in a so-called solar minimum, 
and they are working at, at various parts of the geoengineering agendas to actually control uh, the phases of the sun, uh, including uh, any of the usual, the CMEs, uh, you know, the, uh, the Birkeland currents that connect our planet with the sun, etc. So that's already underway. And, and to do that, they're, they're having to do a lot of experiments in the atmosphere uh, on plasma. And plasma is the fourth state of matter. Uh, and there are many, many experiments going on uh, to create life with plasma, to use plasma as an energy source, and therefore as a weapon. So uh, that's all going on. Then the third phase, to my knowledge, we have not begun this yet. It's all fantasy at this point, in my opinion. And that would include the trip to Mars and the colonizing of this and that, all that. That's all in the fantasy uh, Operation Bluebird manual of the ancient past. But that third phase is control over one's galaxy and its systems. So in my mind, that's what they're working on. And so at first, when I realized what we were breathing in and eating uh, and drinking in our water, uh, was from, you know, from the chemical trails above. At first, I thought we were just collateral damage. That, yeah, okay, we need all these nanoparticles to be floating in the air constantly so that when we zap them with our microwaves and our, our radio frequency, it's going to uh, ionize it and it'll be battery ready for all of our wireless operations that we're doing now to just cover Kardashev's two uh, first phases of uh, a, a space age. But no, we are not just, uh, just collateral damage. We are actually a very primary experiment going on. And what they're making sure we're breathing in on a nano scale, remember at one nano equals one billionth of a meter. So uh, what we're breathing in is very much uh, about experimenting with us playing the role of the host, uh, a variety of uh, engineered, neuroengineered, bioengineered entities that some of which they do need for big data. They, they're collecting lots and lots and lots of data from the environment they lay a lot of sensors, a lot of uh, measuring devices, a lot of microcomputers, microprocessors up in the upper atmosphere, the stratosphere. And then some of it gets captured in the uh, turning of the earth, but a lot of it fall, falls down to us here in the Schumann uh, trough. And so we breathe it all in. And then it starts communicating from inside our bloodstream, goes into the lungs, goes into the bloodstream, easily bypasses the blood-brain barrier because uh, it is all on a nanoscale and, a, and even a sub-nanoscale, a, a pico-scale. So uh, we're, we're doing all this without noticing. Our health is getting worse. We're getting all these immune, autoimmune conditions. 
Uh, they're all being diagnosed as separate diseases when really they're not. They're just symptoms of the same thing. They are undermining our immune system purposely in order to prepare us for the advent of transhumanism, which is based on what they call the BMI-BCI model. That's brain-machine interface, brain-computer interface. That model is the one intended for us. And so now we're like chickens with our heads cut off. We're racing this way and that and this. It's vaccines, it's GMOs, it's electromagnetics, it's, it's everything. And when, you know, I feel uh, kind of ridiculous, Mel, because when I look at all these separate, so-called separate issues, they're actually all fed by this one geoengineering gigantic issue that I am writing about, because all of these things are not just accidental. They're not just about profit and greed, etc. They actually have been chosen at multiple levels as those things which would keep undermining our society, undermining our immune system, so that uh, we will turn automatically to this idea of merging with the machine that can then help us to uh, handle everything we're undergoing. That's how I see it. And that is exactly what I see, too. I mean, first, before we had DARPA, a lot of people don't know this, but I had friends who used the Internet in the 80s. And I used to say, what is this? Oh, let me just show you. And they had these little IBM, uh, <laughs> well, I even forgot what they were, but they were just going through the Internet. Then we got it in the 1990s, and now we cannot live without it. And our children and their phones they're stuck to them. You remove them for more than five minutes and they become depressed. So I don't doubt that in the future, if they're offered in the future when they become young adults, by the way, we have this little chip we're going to implant behind your ear. And if you think about something, you're going to get an answer right in your brain. You think that any child today will say no to that. Yeah, but Mel, I'm sorry. I have worse news for you than that. It's, it doesn't even take volition now. I'm, I'm saying we are breathing them in. I see. We are breathing in programmable, programmed entities that are, uh, are transceivers. They're in touch with uh, what we call fusion centers in the United States. They're in touch with what I call the laptop boys uh, sipping their organic orange juice in Colorado Springs <laughs> while they uh, have everybody and everything they want up on their monitors. This, this is a done deal because they found this aerial delivery system. And, you know, they were, they were writing about this in a very famous document. I was just today writing a bit on it. It was called, uh, let's see. Futures 2025, put out by the U.S. Air Force, and it was in 1996 that they came out with that. Uh, we have referred to it on the Internet, those of us pursuing these similar trails, for many years. Uh, and uh, and when I, when I read the fine print of those documents that came out in that Futures study in 1996, I find exact I mean exact descriptions 
of us breathing what is being aerially delivered to our brains and our bodies. I mean, this, this has been the plan all along. And, um, there was, of course, no, nothing democratic about it. There was, and it was not, if you looked at it from the point of view of some of our legal, uh, law, our laws that have to do with using human subjects and needing consent, et cetera, you'll see that if you can prove that it's an experiment, those laws don't apply. You are now experimenting uh, to see how this works. And so there was never a, a reason to seek congressional approval of these aerosol delivery programs. They simply were done. At first, they were, they, they were using the fuel itself. And then we all had big arguments. I don't know if you remember that, but we would all, we in the so-called anti-geoengineering or anti-chemtrails movement would argue about, well, is there a supplementary system? I mean, you know, you see those pylons under the wings, you see these tubes sticking out from here and there. Um, and finally, you know, now uh, we actually don't argue over that anymore. There is a supplementary system. And in fact, most of the releases that happen in jets, whether they're commercial or military, are controlled from the ground. And now they even have a cloaking that uh, makes it so you can't, you don't even see a jet plane. You may not even see a trail being left. You may see a sort of vague obscuration going on in the sky following a linear pattern for a little while until it branches out into the usual cirrus cloud cover that is really not at all moisture. I keep trying to tell people these are not real clouds up there. These are plasma clouds and they are being uh, microwaved and used, yes, to heat uh, for various magnetic fields that are being uh, put up there for various agendas, various experiments. But I mean, when you look at the sky, at least when I look at the sky, I see a huge laboratory, and that's that's what they're doing. And of course, one of the biggest covers, because it's in a way not even a cover. It's true, but it's also a cover. Is the um, using the weather as a as a cover, uh, the so-called climate change cover story, the global warming cover story, both of which have a lot of truth in them, but are heading for a dead end because never once are they mentioning the military agendas behind uh, this climate change, this global warming. Um, and so it, it's a, a huge drama. And it's, as you know, uh, you know, you being European, you know that uh, we have been the dupes of bread and circus, bread and circuses for many, many political regimes, hundreds of years, thousands of years. Uh, and uh, now they control the, they being uh, the, these huge conglomerate corporate entities uh, that utilize governments like tissues uh, and, and th that were being again fed uh, a circus and promised bread while we're 
sort of ooing and eyeing over the circus. This is nothing new in a way, in Ecclesiastes' sense. But on the other hand, never to my knowledge, and I'm a real student of history, never to my knowledge uh, has such a huge, vast experiment taken place uh, in which all of humanity is involved because we're all breathing the same air. I mean, we have to. We have to all breathe the same air. So, and, and that's the question I get all the time, Lana. People say to me, well, if this is so bad, Mel, the people who are spraying it or the people behind the scenes who are in charge of this project, aren't they breathing the same things? Yes, they are. But do they have uh, the uh, the cure for themselves? Do they have the amazing filter systems yeah, in their homes? The antidotes. Do they have their water system completely under control and with ozone, et cetera, ozone treatments? So uh, I, I really can't compare myself with the elites because they live such a different life uh, from how I live. Uh, I know that I know some things about this, that uh, it operates on a slow cook. So, uh, yes, some people suffer right away. Uh, as adults since this program began. I mean, I think of the Morgellons victims, right? The people with these terrible, separating open sores that never heal, with little colorful wires sticking out of them and going nuts when they get near anything electromagnetic like their cell phone. So uh, there are people who suffer more readily, just as uh, it's true with electrosensitivity, uh, we always have that. Some of us have more vulnerability. Some of us have less. But it is slowly, slowly undermining our immune system because the immune system simply does not recognize this man-made technology. I mean, a, a lot of these entities, these uh, nanobots, these fullerenes, uh, the, these carbon tubule uh, nanobots and uh, nanosensors, our body doesn't recognize them, so it doesn't fight them. It doesn't do anything about them, and they lodge in our tissues and, and, and head through the blood-brain barrier where they will be used by, in my opinion, the 5G, because the 5G is, as I say in the second book, it is the linchpin of this entire space fence lockdown system. And it will, um, by, by being so in tune with the so-called internet of things that daily has millions of devices being signed up to work on the internet principle, the 5G will have this whole beyond battalion of devices that will give it energy for its operations in the home, in the business place, on the streets of the smart cities, doesn't matter where. Uh, and that is how they're going to contact and give marching orders to the nanobots in our bloodstream and brain. This is how it's going to be done. We don't need to go in and get an implant I'm sure that there will be uh, national leaders who will have very sophisticated implants by which they will be run remotely. But for the masses, uh, we are breathing in our, uh, our slave masters and handlers. 
And those will be uh, run by AI systems. And uh, those systems will also be able to reprogram uh, these entities in us for whatever they wish. If it's our emotions, if it's our thoughts, uh, no problem. Because for years since MKUltra, uh, the, there has been a, a, an avid, determined uh, uh, attempt, and I think it has been successful, uh, to collect all the signatures of all human emotions, all human states, psychological states, and consciousness states, and that these uh, these frequencies are now known. And wow, they must be so valuable, Mel. I mean, I would think that gold itself can't buy these unless you're an insider and you behave yourself, and then you may get a piece of uh, the action through these frequencies, which will give you control over everyone around you and further than that. I mean, that's how I see the virtual world that is being promised by uh, Singularity University, Facebook, uh, Google, uh, YouTube, all, all the all the mafia, all the telecom mafia. Uh, they they are they are certain that this is going to work and knowing how hypnotic most people are always have been but lately wow lately I, I I'm amazed in fact my hypothesis is that see I don't own a cell phone I, I always I always joke with people that I'm not that important that the government knows where I am 24-7. But really the reason I don't own a cell phone is the same reason I don't own a television because these are weapons. These are military weapons. We got them from the military, just like this computer I'm now sort of chained to. I had This I could not do without if I'm going to write books. Uh, and um, all of these things came to us via the military, which has all our frequencies, and we have none of theirs. So, uh, so I, I think we need to really um, kind of wake up uh, and and take stock of how militarized uh, this technology is. Uh, it, yes, it's convenient. Yes, it's entertaining. Yes, uh, people are addicted to it and get endorphins from, you know, knowing that someone's thinking about them or whatever. But but basically, these are weaponized and uh, any of them can turn on us on a dime. So uh, if we can come to terms with that, accept our condition, then we can we can do some things and start testing some of our own models of defense uh, that will perhaps save our children and our grandchildren. That that's kind of the direction I'm going in now. Is is yes, I, I must explain all this stuff and show how it works together. And then um, you know, people are are going to have to form their own communities. Uh, they're going to have to really wake up, or uh, they're going to be pulled under. Uh, there's no other way uh, that I see going to the legislature. No, I don't think so. Uh, taking them to court. No, I don't think so. Uh, waving signs in the street. 
No, I don't think so. I think these are things of an era that is passing, an era in which law meant something. This is a technocracy. This is an oligarchic technocracy run by some very um, savvy technocrats. And uh, they are not the least interested in law, nor are they interested in morality. Anything from the past of what has made the human being somewhat civilized, uh, they are not interested in it. And so I, I accept that. And, um, you know, the enemy gets to define itself. And I have to first understand the enemy. I mean, I learned this from General George Patton, whom I used to uh, admire greatly. I read his autobiography. I read books about him. Uh, he, he was very clear that in order to fight a good war, you have got to know the enemy as they see themselves, not just as you see them. And and that is what I, I try to do uh, so that I can understand how to fight, because this is a different fight. This is not a political fight. This is not even a technological fight, because they know lots of technology I have no idea of. But the one thing I have is an understanding of what it means to be a human being. And for me, you know, some people may think we're just meat sex and everything's arbitrary. Not me. As you know, I'm a student of Rudolf Steiner. I've been very affected by Rudolf Steiner. I've been very affected by reading many, many histories of uh, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, of the uh, United States, etc. And I, I, I've paid very close attention to something that is so human that it, it's poignant. It, it draws tears to the eyes when you encounter it, which is rare. And that is a noble, great human being. They are very rare because it is not easy to be noble and great. One must really control oneself and have a discipline. And in the word discipline is the word disciple. One must be a disciple of one's greater self, higher self. And a lot of people choose pleasure, the pleasure pain route over that. The, uh, the sort of see what happens route, but uh, not me. I, I really, I really working very hard on this 24 seven because I see now that the human future is not certain at all now, Mel. And, and we who know this, we must really gird up our loins and take this on uh, because it doesn't take that many. This is not about democracy, the demos, having all the people behind you. No, this is a qualitative defense that can be done by very few people. If those people are dedicated to salvaging what really makes someone human uh, in the greatest of senses, not the lowest of senses, because the human being spans a tremendous territory between the divine and the demonic. No question about it. There is no neutral, though, in the human being. So people who like to fool themselves that they're neutral, they're not divine or de uh, demonic, not so. A choice has been made, and once a choice is made, 
there is a color to the field that one has chosen. So this is kind of how I run my life. Yes, I, I may sound like I'm, I'm living mythically. Well, I do live mythically. I mean, I see myself as being on the front lines. I'm in a war. And I see comrades are dropping. You know, we've had a few deaths. We've, we've lost a few people because of evil on the move against them. And there's really nothing I can do for them. And I, I'm sad over that. But onward, onward we go. As one after another drops, it could be me next. Who knows? You, you just have to play the role that is given you when you come into this earth life. And that's, that's what I'm doing. Uh, and, uh, and I'm grateful for it because it's using my skills. I have skills with words. Uh, writing, speaking, etc. I I lay them at the feet of the future of humanity. When human beings, as Rudolf Steiner says, there will come a day when you will not be able to sleep knowing that someone is in pain. If Absolutely. you can imagine that. No, no, that those are great words. Recently, I've learned a, a few acronyms, a few words. You probably, obviously, I think you know them. Smart, everybody, smart things. Secret militarized armaments in residential technology. Yeah, I like that. Digitocracy, the merger of technology and government. And then, not too long ago, somebody forwarded this link. Folks, if you go, if you Google the word homo mutatus, it's going to take you to a website which is owned by the United Nations, the World Meteorological Organization. It's the Cloud Atlas. And you'll see right there, Homo Mutatus, a new type of cloud. They haven't had a new type of cloud for a while. But if you see the image, you know exactly where that cloud came from. But the way they explain it, obviously they tell you that it's a natural cirrus cloud, but it has certain components to it that makes it unique. So look at the name. I don't speak that much Latin, but Homo seems to me human. And right. mutatus, could this be that they're in your face telling you, we are mutating the sky? Yep. Yep. That's what it is. And it's so interesting that it's the clouds. And if I could get esoteric for just a moment, the fact that it's in the clouds, I mean, I'm, <clears throat> I'm not familiar with Christian literature that much, but I do know that at some point, Jesus Christ said uh, that he came in the clouds and that he would come again as he left, and he left in the clouds. Well, what does that mean? What is a cloud? Well, a cloud, yes, it's moisture and particulates, but, but what, what is that, that whole realm of clouds? It's, it's ether. It's the ether that uh, is a concept of energy uh, that was banned in the early 1920s from the scientific community. I mean, until the late 20s, Albert Einstein was still using the concept of the ether as a universal substance that precedes the formation of plasma, which precedes the formation of uh, matter. And for all this, you need an electrical happening of some sort, that the ether ends up being electrically uh, zapped, then the plasma arises, 
as a gas, a fiery gas. Then next, uh, matter begins to form, either a solar system or a planet or a star. So, uh, so ether was completely accepted until the 1920s. I, I cover this in chapter two in, in the Under an Ionized Sky. I mean, it's, it's just a, an amazing, dramatic story in which a scientific cabal of some sort banned uh, summarily the use of the term ether. And from then on, the term ether became uh, something that, no, you don't, you don't use that term if you're a true scientist. It became uh, a, a term only used by those involved in spiritualist movements, like an ether body. Uh, and, and so this, this concept, these concepts have been sort of stripped and, and recomposed and, uh, and, and changed morph to morph into other things, all done by an elite scientific community, seemingly not very dedicated to life on the planet and uh, the human consciousness, it seems to me. So, you know, when I hear things like what you're saying about these these acronyms and what they really mean, um, you know, I, it's it's true. It's, it's hard for us to imagine that the elites that we have put on pedestals for so many centuries that they could turn into something which is not very smart, is not, um, it may be clever, but it's not very smart, and it's not certainly not very intelligent, but it has been packaged and taken uh, captive by those who seek to drag us down to our lowest elements, such as caring about one's career at the expense of humanity, caring about money at the expense of our families, ourselves. However you want to look at it, we have got to look morally at things. I don't, I don't know how to live without looking morally at things. And, and now they're trying to make it sound like the word moral came straight out of religion. Not right. so. Not so. Religion is something different. Religion hijacked morality. Yes. Yes. And science, in its uh, desire to seem objective, uh, has thrown it out with, uh, thrown the baby out with the bath. Uh, ever since, and I would say, yes, I would say, ever since the end of the 19th century into the 20th century, when materialism was in its great heyday, there was so big black lines were being drawn between, for example, I always think of this one, physics and metaphysics there really is no black line there now and now that i have educated myself on uh, metaphysics and how much physics are in it uh, it simply needs to be clarified so that we can expand our field of being able to think about this particular problem i'm bringing today this full spectrum dominance over the planet's life and vitality um, this this seems to me that it's time for us to really take in a different language, a different thinking, not to, to really look at the possibility that we have been sold a bill of goods since our very first day of going to school. 
that we can't just believe everything we've been taught and wait for Godot, wait for Martin Luther King, wait for the second coming of Jesus. We can't, we can't just wait uh, and still hold the same old thought forms by which our masters of the universe are, uh, are really um, usurping our best qualities of being human. This is the problem. We, we need the courage to not wait for the experts to tell us what is true. We need the courage to do our own work, and that's what I do. I don't have a PhD in physics. In fact, I would go so far as to say there is no place in this country, barring perhaps uh, Johns Hopkins and maybe a couple of others, there is no place I could go to learn about this plasma physics, this astrophysics that I am learning is being done chemically and with nanotechnology. I don't think there's anywhere where I could really get a degree uh, in these these uh, studies because they are unfolding daily. Uh, very, very interesting. Uh, as a as a very good researcher, and you know, I have a master's in historiography. I know how to research, but. A lot of the stuff I need to research, there are no books on it, Mel. There's nothing. I have to. I sit and I I contemplate a huge collage of data to see how all the pieces fit together because I don't even have the picture of how they fit together. But I have to. I have to give it a good go since I have that kind of mind anyway that builds big pictures. I I need to um, to do my best and hope that someone with, who can see even better than I comes along after me and, and does something more marvelous and more wonderful for the people. But here's the problem. Since they, when I say they, I put quotes, they own the syllabus for most educational institutions. Let's take the medical industry, for example. Do you think they're going to talk about nutrition? They just get, medical doctors get one hour. Do you think they're going to talk the possibility of finding the cures for cancer for heart disease, for all of, uh, for autism, for HIV. I mean, supposedly they're finding the cure of that now, but for the rest of them, you don't see that. What you're discussing, you're not going to be able to find that anywhere because it's it goes against the status quo. But let me ask you this. When they do all these things, ionizing the sky and trying to create, you know, let's a, a Borg, if you will, is there a correlation between all of this and 23andMe and Ancestry and all these outfits out there that are asking for your DNA to tell you where you came from and all those all, all those things. Is there a correlation here? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I mean, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say they all get together in, as conspirers in a room together and decide who's going to take what and do what. But I would say that the reward punishment system the is uh, that capitalism uh, can have easily from just a few people at the very top of the pyramid of capitalism uh, works wonders for controlling what is rewarded and what isn't like ancestry.com now that that is a very good one uh, to name because it's certainly the gen the genetics and the genome they, these are important things to the transhumanist futures. Now, you so, know who's behind that, right? 
Well, what, Gates? No, it's the Church of the Latter-days, the Mormons. Oh, yes, of course it would be. Yes. And I think that uh, many of these, uh, like the LGBT movement, um, the the trying to confuse youth regarding their sexuality, regarding whatever, would have led to purposeful uh, estrogen being put into large city water supplies. Absolutely. Well, you have plastics, you have soy, and it makes you wonder, if you had to find an endgame as to why they're doing this, let's take what you're saying, the LGBTQ, and again, I always say it, no criticizing of of homosexuals and the trans. If they want to do that, that's fine. But let's take the trans for, for a moment. It's 0.5 of 1% of the population. But they want us to change our lifestyle to arrange theirs. And I, feel, I find that to be unfair. I mean, I'm all for, if you want to be who you want to be, go ahead, do it. But don't change my life. Don't shove down those, the, the lifestyles down my throat if I... I'm different than you. I respect who you are, but don't try to change me. But anyway, I don't want to get on a on a tangent there. Well, the- and, I, and I would come in uh, from a different vantage point. I mean, there are some, you know, when you don't question how these things arise and why the media is giving so much attention to such uh, small elements, um, you you tend to fall into an us and them thing, which of course we know divide and conquer works works great. But it for me, it's more a matter of if one is going in that direction, have they really looked at the water supply uh, estrogen mm, right. thing? Um, is it possible that they do not know yet, being young? that uh, many of these movements that are spawned uh, in the name of free individuality are actually being um, bankrolled and created by very large foundations like the Clinton Foundation, uh, the, the Bill Gates Foundation, etc. So, um, you know, how deeply have they really looked into this? Instead, they jumped to the personal this is my life. This is, you know, my sexuality. This is very, very important, etc. cetera. Uh, same thing. Um, I mean, every, every issue that distracts us from the advent of human, of, uh, of, uh, transhumanism to me, it's just seems that you need to scratch down a few levels in order to see if this is being used to manipulate society and turn us against each other. This is the big thing to me. Uh, and, and that's why I, um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm on another track entirely, but I pay attention to these, uh, these diversions and distractions, I call them. Uh, but often they do serve a transhumanist future, such as the LGBT. Do you think this is probably being done also for population reduction? I mean, take a look at Japan. The birth rate there is less than 1.2 right now, which means that in the next 100 years, are we going to have any Japanese? And the same thing's happening uh, in other places around the world. Even the United States, I think, is below 2.0 now. So is that a population reduction, what's behind the scenes? And maybe the estrogen is preventing people from being attracted to the other gender? Yes, yes, and and it's turning males into females, but um, but yeah, I I I very much 
do see a connection there. And, and if you think about it, not very deeply either, it makes sense that you would, um, you would want to blame a lot of as much as you possibly could on too many people so that then you could use that uh, for vaccination programs that were really about something entirely different, uh, for food programs that are really about something entirely different. So, yes, I think that, that there are PhDs who, are, who have a cunning mind and are paid a great deal in order to find more and more aspects of this as they break down society uh, and, uh, and break down the human immune system and, and break down uh, any any sense of unity that we uh, at one time had uh, it, it because we are in a nation state or we're in a certain population base or we're in a certain gen, uh, gender or our age base. Uh, however you look at it, uh, you know, paranoia now, Mel, is, is uh, my sixth sense. I, I don't trust anything uh, without really taking another couple, three looks at it to see if this too is being used. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm looking at, uh, and this is worldwide. I thought it was certain places, but I'm looking at China. Birth rate. This is 2016, folks. China, birth rate, 1.62. Japan, 1.4. United States, 1.8. European Union as a group, 1.6. So if you have all these countries that have less than two and you need to have two point something in order for your country to, to, to thrive in the future and to continue, what's going to happen? Is it the young people are going to be supporting the elderly? Yeah, I don't think so. I think, um, I think we're headed to transhumanism and um, their plan is to do this in uh, one more generation, no longer. But at the most, 20 years. Because now, of course, you know, it used to be a generation was 30 years. Now they say it's 20 years. So 20 years, uh, they, they're, they're moving at a lightning pace uh, now. And, and when I say they, I, I have to say that, uh, you know, I have a theory. It's just a theory um, that if you sacrifice your humanity, what I call your humanity, that would be your moral fiber, that would be your conscience, uh, that would be um, your caring uh, for other human beings to some degree as you care for yourself. Uh, it would, would have to do not with nationalism, but would have to do with, you know, something global perhaps, but, but, I, but a sentiment that, um, that goes further than yourself and takes into account that your actions or the actions of the corporation you work for are going out and doing something and that you to some degree are responsible for that and you can't just say well you know I just do my job I just do what I'm told if you give all that up and you just do what you're told, and it doesn't matter what the value of it is in a moral sense or an ethical sense, does not matter, then you have sacrificed what really makes a human being quite different. A lot of people think a human being is different in the sense that we have these, these brains, and certainly the brain is extraordinary. But, uh, but this, this hum what, what being human is has something to do with something uh, indelible, 
something uh, uh, eternal, possibly, uh, something that goes beyond time and space. And, and if you give that up, then to me, we're now falling back on the very famous natural law, which says uh, nature abhors a vacuum. A vacuum has been created in a human being when they forsake all of these things I've named, and now they are simply a tool for the influences around them. Now, uh, the vacuum will be filled by something, and you can, you can call it a demon, you can call it an alien, you can call it a force, you can call it anything you want, uh, even you know your handler's personality. Uh, your CEO's personality, whatever you want to say, but this is now has now left the realm that was intended for the human being. And when I'm talking about intention, now of course I'm getting into the metaphysics of being human. We don't come here uh, arbitrarily. We don't. I don't believe that. I have never had that experience that it is arbitrary, that it is accidental, that that it is uh, something that my will and my intention have no play in. Uh, my, as I look back on my life, I'm now 72 years old. Um, I see that there has been a great intentionality, uh, a, a very big struggle in order to bring those intentions, those best of intentions, to the fore, because I had a very difficult childhood. I had very difficult things I was up against, but it is going up against those things with full human armor, full human ability that um, gives you the power uh, by which you can overturn those things and turn the straw into gold, basically. So, so you know, the, this this is the key to being human to me. Now, I'm in a world where many people have lots of different ideas on being human, and I, I wouldn't have it any other way. It isn't like I want to be king and everybody's got to go my way. But what I cannot abide are the people, seemingly people, who uh, who turn against humanity and want to destroy humanity in favor of machines, in favor of uh, AI systems, in favor of, uh, of some sort of um, incredible ability, but nobody home who really did it themselves. Uh, I, I just can't go for that. And, uh, and I'm going to have to resist that. And that is still my prerogative. Uh, because based on nature abhors a vacuum, I have to assume there are other entities at work here, not to mention the ones we've breathed in and are alive in us on some sort of scale of consciousness as the nanobots are, you know, if you read about nanotechnology, you will soon find that these, these, the swarm mentality of nano uh, particles of nanobots is extraordinary and it, and it completely confounds scientists because it is a form of consciousness. And these nanos, uh, who are now on you know a billionth of a meter uh, uh, level, they seem to have a consciousness of their own, a swarm consciousness, a a hive consciousness, and uh, and that in itself to have those alive in us. What what does that mean for our freedom? What does that mean? This is not like a parasite. This is something different. 
And that's what I'm pursuing in this third book is what are these things that now have have full uh, are, are moving through my body and my brain and are in touch with various electromagnetic centers uh, which can program and uh, and move them causes that cause them to self-replicate it cause them to uh, to do feats in various parts of the body, move them from one part of the body to another part of the body. I mean, that's what we're talking about here, Mel. That's, that's how the transhumanist brain-computer interface is going to come. It's coming through what we already have in our bodies that we've breathed from the chemical trails, the rocket trails, uh, the drone trails, uh, the, uh, the food, the uh, the GMO food, uh, the vaccinations that they're plying our children with, the unbelievable scale. So that's that's the key, and that that I did not know two years ago. Even I did not know that, but I know it now. And we have to take a one and only break. But let me just say this: what I think of what we discussed before, the nuking of the atmosphere. This is something that you would think we would do if we were trying to say terraform Mars, nuking the atmosphere there and perhaps, you know, create an atmosphere. But the same thing happens if you look at another planet, let's say a planet with 7 billion people, and I'll get your reaction on the other side. If we needed to vacate planet Earth to go to that other place, what would we do? Well, if we really had to go there, but we couldn't take over because it's inhabited and they won't allow us, what did the powers that want to be would do? Well, If they're patient, they would try to get rid of the population there. Slowly chemtrail it, you know, use certain people, plant certain individuals within their governments and and industry, and start slowly to depopulate, lower lower the birth rates to the point of extinction. And guess what? You take over, and all the assets are still there for you to take. But I'll get your answer on the other side. How can people buy your first two books, and when is the new book coming out? Oh, you want me to tell you that now? Yes, just tell us the, uh, yes. the, the books, yes. Yes, the books. Uh, you can get them at Amazon. You can order them directly from the publisher, Feral House. Um, and you can go to my site and you can order one there. And, you know, it will come. Uh, yeah. Great. Folks, don't go anywhere. This is Mel Fabregas. My special guest today is Elena Freeland. A lot more to discuss when we come back. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this very important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the member section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, CBD pure hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, click on like, subscribe, and share. Thank you.